Good evening, everyone. Welcome to the Carolina Weather Group. We're happy to have you this evening. And we have uh, our special guest tonight, Bruce Jones, who works for Midland Radio. And if you're not familiar with what that is, I'm sure you've heard us from time to time doing our severe weather coverage in my weather radio go off during that. Well, Bruce works for Midland, which I have a Midland radio, and uh, he's going to talk to us tonight about weather radios, how they function, how they work, how you get those alerts to your home, and also why it's important to have a weather radio or multiple radios if you um, if you live in a, a larger home or have a family. So uh, we're going to talk all about that tonight, and we hope that uh, after this that you'll, uh, you'll get some information that uh, will help you. Uh, if you've been on the fence about getting a weather radio, hopefully it'll help tip you over to uh, to go out and get them. So, uh, Bruce, welcome to the program tonight. Uh, we're very excited to have you. And uh, since your first time on the show, uh, let's kind of get the the backstory of Bruce Jones. What what's uh, the weather career been like for you? Because I know you've not always worked for Midland. You've done a lot of things in the weather world. So, t- kind of tell us a little bit about your background. Well, you know, I'll start by saying, because everybody gets into the weather because when they were a kid, they experienced something that made an impact on them. So for me, it was, uh, I was five years old and I saw the Wizard of Oz movie for the first time at age five. And, you know, you got a wicked witch and you got uh, flying monkeys. But to me, the coolest thing was the tornado. So I, I became kind of a tornado head from age five onward. And anytime there was tornado coverage on TV, I went running to the TV. So it's been a lifelong thing with me. Um, I was in radio and TV for quite a few years, uh, starting in Columbia, Missouri. Um, so um, I worked in radio, worked in television, um, in TV. I worked in uh, Peoria, Illinois, and then Kansas City, and then uh, Topeka, Kansas because I always I wanted to be a tornado country you know some some meteorologists they like to forecast snow and so they'll you know work in Cleveland or Buffalo New York where you get a lot of dramatic snow and some people like hurricanes um, again I was always a tornado person so most of my career was in what's traditionally called tornado alley and I always you know I always talked even from the beginning I talked to people and I said you know you need to have one of these NOAA weather radios because I can't turn your radio or your TV on during severe weather. You have to turn it on. At two o'clock in the morning, something needs to wake you up so you'll turn on my station and then we can walk you through the storm. So it's been for 45 years now, I've been telling people every home in America, every school, every business should have a NOAA weather radio. This country has the worst weather on the planet. We get everything. We get tornadoes, blizzards, hurricanes, flash floods, dust storms. We get everything that you can get. This is the worst weather on the planet. And that's why it's important that you have more than one way to get your warnings. So you know when this stuff is coming. And one of the most reliable ways is this NOAA weather radio. Bruce, one thing about weather radio is there's a wide variety um, that you can get, uh, kind of talk to us about some of the ones that you recommend to folks. What, what is the, uh, what's the ideal or, or what, what should folks be looking for if, if they are, uh, looking out, uh, to get a, a new weather radio? You know, you may have some fans of the show who remember when Radio Shack sold this cube radio. It's a weather radio that looked like a little cube. And to listen to the broadcast, you pressed a little bar on top of the radio, That weather radio came out in 1970, 
it did not even have an automatic tone alert to it. If you wanted to listen to the broadcast, you had to actually be physically listening to the broadcast to hear the tornado warning, right? Well, around 1971, 72, they put these tone alert things in there. So the radio comes on automatically. So I like to explain to people that a weather radio is a lot like a smoke detector. It's always silently on, but it comes on automatically to alert you. And that's really important when you're asleep or when you're just not paying attention. So the best weather radio that you can get is one that you use in your home. And it has what's called specific area message encoding or S-A-M-E. Specific area message encoding allows you to tell that radio, I live in Washington County and I don't want to hear alerts for Jefferson County or Lincoln County. I live in Washington County. Only alert me when something comes into Washington County. So for home use, you probably want a weather radio that has specific area message encoding so you can tell it when to go up. However, if you travel, if you're in a hurricane evacuation zone, you don't want to mess with a radio where you have to tell it what county it is it, 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 you're in because honestly, during an evacuation, you may not even know what county you're in. You just want the information. So in a case like that, you might want a more portable weather radio, like, you know, something like this that has a hand crank on it so you can crank and generate your own electricity. But most importantly, you don't need to program this and tell it that you live in a certain county. This will go off wherever you go, RV, camping, hurricane evacuation, wherever you travel, a travel weather radio will go off as you move along. So two different types of weather radio for home use, for school use, Get one that you can set to go off just for the county where you live. But when you travel, you want one of these radios that's just going to kind of tune into the nearest broadcast and give you all the information that you might need. And that's important, uh, Bruce, as you were talking about, uh, you know, it's the beginning of June. A lot of folks are going out camping or going to the beach. And uh, out there, there's areas where you may not get cell phone service, where you don't get the push notifications of a warning to your phone, uh, or if you're out at the beach and you're not really paying attention and all of a sudden the storm blows up, it's good that you can get those. Now, are those battery powered or are they, I know you said crank, but can you also have a battery with those? <clears throat> this one has a rechargeable battery in it, and this one also has a crank on it. Um, you know, to your point, if you go to Yellowstone National Park, there's very little cell phone coverage in Yellowstone, but there's no weather radio signal all over Yellowstone Park. And there are quite a few national parks that are the same way. I mean, these wilderness areas, you, you go out there, you're not going to get very good cell phone coverage. I live in Kansas, and I can tell you, I can drive 30 minutes from my home and take you to counties in Kansas where you don't get very good cell phone coverage. And the emergency managers in those counties push NOAA weather radio as their number one alerting source with your cell phone being number two. So remember when you travel, you get into areas of the country where there is not very good cell phone coverage at all. And so it's important that you have more than one way to receive the warnings and there's nothing better, more reliable than NOAA weather radio. 
we have areas in South Carolina that don't have good cell phone coverage. Uh, there aren't as many because we don't have as many mountains. And I think that's the, the main problem with, with North Carolina and, and good cell phone coverage. Uh, even in, in Polk County, which doesn't have a whole lot of mountains, and the ones we have in Polk County weren't very high, uh, still the cell phone coverage was uh, rather poor in a lot of areas. Uh, so yeah, uh, it's it's good to have a weather radio and uh, Midland. Uh, I, I have I have one of my own. As a matter of fact, it's uh, the the basic model. Actually, won as a door prize at the National Weather Association meeting uh, last year. But uh, uh, it's it's great. Uh, it it has it's battery powered. It doesn't have the the fancy hand crank or or solar power generator on it. So, uh, but that's that's good to have those still because uh, it's good to have something to fit every budget. And these are uh, relatively expen inexpensive radios here that you can get and uh, still uh, have that uh, first or second way to uh, be alerted depending upon uh, how good your cell phone coverage is. You know, guys, the history behind NOAA weather radio is kind of interesting. I'll clue you in here a little bit. How much time do I have, by the way? You got as much time as you want. So. <laughs> <laughs> okay. What really propelled this? Now, we had a, a broadcast system starting in 1951, believe it or not, on a frequency of 162.550 megahertz. It was, a, it was an airplane broadcast. It was for the pilots and aviators. And it was active in uh, New York City at LaGuardia Field. They also had it up in, uh, in Chicago. So the early frequencies were 162.550. This was in the early 1950s. They were using it for aviation. Well, that signal didn't travel very far. And they thought, you know what? Why don't we use it for maritime? Why don't we use it for boats and ships coming into, into New York Harbor, in Chicago, uh, Lake Michigan? And so there were several of these 162.550 megahertz transmitters around the country. Houston, Texas, Los Angeles, San Francisco, Seattle. You'll still find them, a lot of them along the coast. All right, so now we go to the Palm Sunday tornado outbreak of April 1965. During that tornado outbreak, the warnings were coming in so fast and furious that the old National Weather Service teletype wire system couldn't handle them all. Uh, there were so many tornado warnings that, that these teletype machines were just chunk, 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 typing this out. You used to have to type like a typewriter and type this thing out. And it might take it a minute to type out a tornado warning. Well, meanwhile, the National Weather Service has issued four more tornado warnings and the system couldn't keep up with it. And so back in 1965, they realized, OK, well, you know, we've got to change. We've got to change this system. Because at that point in time, the National Weather Service, when there was a tornado warning for your county, they would pick up the phone and they would call the local radio stations. They'd call the local sheriff. They'd call the hospitals and say, hey, there's a tornado coming. But the system just it couldn't handle that. Now we move to the super outbreak of, uh, of 1974, April of, of 74. Same thing happens again. The warnings are coming out so fast and furious that they can't handle it. So right about that time is when they decided that uh, let's take this maritime broadcast thing and get rid of that. And let's make this be a national alerting system. Let's devise these little uh, weather radios that will actually act like an indoor tornado siren. An indoor tornado siren that anybody can have in their home. And 
one of the biggest supporters of this whole system was the broadcasters, the AM, FM, and TV uh, stations, because they wanted a system that would automatically alert them in their specific area, and so on and so forth. So bottom line, no weather radio goes back a long time. And it was designed to overcome this problem of how do you get alerts to people as quickly as possible so that you can save their lives. And it's still the fastest way to get them. I live in Overland Park, Kansas, which is a suburb of Kansas City. Last night, about 1.30 in the morning, we had a tornado in my county. My NOAA weather radio went off. And then my cell phone alert was quite a bit after that. NOAA weather radio, because it's a radio broadcast, is still the fastest way to receive these messages. And it has a long history behind it. So it solves problems by helping broadcasters get the message out. It solves problems by getting the alerts directly into homes, schools, and businesses. And still, despite the fact we have cell phones, outdoor sirens, et cetera, et cetera, there's no faster way to get your warnings than via NOAA weather radio. Uh, Bruce, you're talking about the speed of that. So could you kind of break down the process of the weather service says, okay, we need to do something with this storm. Kind of talk about that process to how it gets to that weather radio. Yeah, well, they have 1,033 transmitters now across the United States, 1,033 transmitters. So there's a NOAA weather radio signal that reaches uh, probably 95% of the U.S. population. Most of the populated areas, you've got a NOAA weather radio signal there. And the way the system works is at the National Weather Service Forecast Office, and there are 122 of those offices nationwide, the person running the radar who spots a possible tornado on radar, um, when they start to type out tornado warning for Washington County, as soon as they hit the send button on that tornado warning, it automatically kicks off the NOAA weather radio. It's really like one second later. It's, it's almost instantaneous. Tornado warning is issued to the county. They push the issue button. NOAA weather radio immediately goes off for the transmitter or transmitters that cover that county. So it's really, it's an automatic system. There's an automatic voice on there, kind of a computerized voice, you know, artificial voice, which you know, can be kind of bothersome. But the reason they did that is it doesn't require that radar operator to leave the radar and go over to a microphone and start talking. It saves those extra seconds and creates an instantaneous alert. So it all starts at the, the, the radar console as the radar operator looks at this storm and says, yep, we're showing signs of rotation. We're issuing a tornado warning. The tornado warning is issued. All the weather radios in that county go off simultaneously. You know, one thing that's really important to point out, now I have a cell phone, I love my cell phone. I've got a lot of weather apps on here. I love my cell phone. But the average cell phone tower can only handle about 35% of the telephones that are within range of that tower. A high capacity cell tower can handle maybe 45% of the phones that are within range of that tower. What happens when something big is going on and 100% of the people in range of that tower are picking up their phone to make a call, get a text, send a text, find out what in the world is going on. Well, the cell phone tower can't handle it. And so now you get what they call this latency problem where the phone calls, 
and the messages can be delayed. I talked to a lady in Joplin, Missouri, who was there on the day of the tornado. She did not get a tornado warning on her cell phone until two hours after the tornado because the system was so overloaded and backlogged that it took that long for it to chunk through all of those backlogged phone calls to send one to her phone. So we've seen this time and time again, and you've probably experienced it yourself. If you go to a homecoming football game, if you go to a big college football game or an NFL game, you get in the stands and you try to send the folks at home a picture of what you're seeing, it won't go through until you're driving home and you get into better cell phone coverage. The reason is the nearest cell phone tower is overloaded. So think about that. If the cell phone tower that services your phone gets overloaded or something happens to it in a storm, you may never receive that message. So that's why I, my mantra has always been have multiple redundant ways of getting this information, including having a normal weather radio. One other thing with the weather radio that I have is right here. Um, yeah. You guys can see on the camera um, is there's a warning and watch an advisory panel. And whenever your area is under a warning or a watch or advisory, it'll, it'll stay lit up. So you know that while that is lit up, either you're under this watch or warning and advisory, and it just kind of keeps you in the back of the mind. Hey, I, I need to stay weather aware, especially if it's a watch. And then if you hear the next tone and it's a warning, you know, it's time to seek shelter. That's a public alert certified weather radio, the one that you just showed. To get public alert certification, uh, the radio has to have certain standards as far as signal sensitivity. It has to have an alert tone that's at least 77 decibels, which is loud. Mm -hmm. It has to have lights to alert the deaf and hard of hearing. Um, uh, and it has to have battery backup. So you keep it plugged into the wall, but if the city power goes out during the storm, it'll still run because it has the battery backup. So we have these specifications and qualifications that these things have to meet because they are truly life-saving devices. But you're right, there are multiple ways to, to get the notification. And if you come home and you walk into your house and you notice that the watch light is illuminated on your weather radio, you can press that big weather snooze button and hear what they've issued for your area. So it does keep you kind of up to date on what's going on. Even if you were away when the watch or warning was issued, when you come home, the radio's telling you something's going on and you need to come listen. Is, is there any possible legislation down the road where it may require folks to maybe have one of these? Like you're supposed to have a fire alarm or a fire uh is there anything in the works or do you think in, in, in years to come, there could be something in the works where there's homes that are, every home is supposed to have one of these? After the uh, Evansville, Indiana tornado uh, back in the early 2000s, that was a nocturnal tornado. And the state of Indiana actually passed a law requiring NOAA weather radios in mobile homes. Um, it wasn't uh, retroactive for all mobile homes, but newer mobile homes were required to have a NOAA weather radio. And that was actually brought up in the United States uh, House and Senate and was kind of blocked by the manufactured housing uh, industry. And I can understand why. Uh, their point was, why are you just singling out mobile homes? I mean, if these things are truly life-saving devices and they belong in every mobile home, they belong in every home, period. And I agree. 
I, I personally think they do belong in every home. I think they should be as common as smoke detectors. I think your insurance company should give you a break on your insurance rates when you have a NOAA weather radio in your home. And a good example is you just mentioned, Scotty, when a watch is issued, that's a good time to put your car inside the garage, you know, yeah. because there could be hail. And if, if you do that and you don't get hail damage on your car, that saves the insurance industry a lot of money. By the same token, if there's a tornado warning at two o'clock in the morning and you get into your, your safe spot and you survive, your insurance company doesn't have to pay out on your life insurance policy. So I've always been an advocate that really the insurance companies of America should be pushing these as something that should be standard in every home, every school, and every business in America because they just make sense. You know, there's an important piece of legislation that's now made its way to the Senate. It's the Weather Radio Modernization Act of 2021. It was sponsored by a Republican from Oklahoma, Stephanie Bice, and a Democrat from New Jersey, uh, Mikey Sherrill. So it's a bipartisan bill. And basically what it's doing, it's telling the director of NOAA, the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration, it's telling them, look, you have your budget. We want you to spend more of your current budget supporting NOAA Weather Radio. We want you to take $20 million of the budget you already have, and we want you to repair and improve the transmitters that are currently out there. We want you to take another $40 million of the budget you already have and modernize and improve the NOAA Weather Radio Network. Specifically, as it stands right now, the communication from the National Weather Service office out to the transmitters is via copper phone lines. If somebody with a backhoe breaks that line, that transmitter is off the air. The NOAA Weather Radio Modernization Act of 2021 will add satellite backup capabilities so that if the phone line gets snapped, they can still run that transmitter via satellite. Not only that, but any weather forecast office in the United States could take over a transmitter in case the local forecast office was knocked out for whatever reason. So it's the NOAA Weather Radio Modernization Act of 2021. It passed almost unanimously in the House. It's now gone on to the Senate. So if you would, contact your senators and ask them to support the NOAA Weather Radio Modernization Act of 2021. It has nothing to do with increasing taxes or increasing spending. This is money NOAA already has in its budget and Congress is saying, you need to do more with the budget we gave you to support the voice of the National Weather Service, NOAA Weather Radio. Over the last several years, uh, a lot of folks throughout the country has noticed an uptick in, in extreme weather events. We've seen uh, record hurricane seasons over the last few years. We've seen a lot of flash flooding disasters happen, a lot of severe weather events, even wildfires out in the West. Um, so I guess my question to you is, uh, have we seen the American people, the population really say, hey, I need to get one of those? Have we seen a, an uptick in, in weather radios being bought? Well, absolutely. But I'll tell you, unfortunately, it usually happens in the aftermath of a disaster. And let me give you an example. Uh, the Cookville, Tennessee tornado of 2020. Uh, I think that was on February 2nd or 3rd, early morning tornado, 145 in the morning. It was an F4 tornado. Um, as it comes into Cookville, which is a, a, a suburb of, uh, of Nashville, as it comes into Cookville, 
there were two large cell phone towers that were out of service. The two cell phone towers that served most of Cookville were not working. Tornado warning was issued 10 minutes before the tornado came into Cookville. Those with a weather radio, they heard the tornado warning. 19 people died that night and they found people dead in their beds. So they were never awakened because they went to bed thinking that their cell phone was gonna wake them up. And what they didn't know was that in advance of the tornado, those two cell phone towers had been damaged and were inoperable. And there, there have been plenty of other examples of the same thing. One of the more Oklahoma tornadoes, a big F5 of a few years ago, coming into town, turned off all the, they broke down all, all the electricity, no electricity. Uh, cell phone towers were either damaged or overloaded. The only thing that worked that day was no weather radio. And that was the guy in the Moore, Oklahoma bowling alley who heard his NOAA weather radio go off. He's in a bowling alley with nothing but TV screens on all the walls around him and none of them are showing anything because the power's out. But his NOAA weather radio with battery backup was telling him this tornado is coming right toward the bowling alley. And he had plenty of time to evacuate the building and send everybody away. And nobody died there. That's right, uh, right along I-35 there and more. It was leveled. They, they had to get rid of the bowling alley. So I kind of hear these stories and I kind of file them away back here. But there are many, many examples of uh, NOAA weather radio being more popular today than it's ever been. I'll give you another example. Um, Midland, Cobra, Uniden, Motorola, four companies make these little walkie-talkies, these little two-way walkie-talkies. A lot of people buy them at Bass Pro Shop, or maybe they buy them at Walmart. They take them when they go camping. If you go elk hunting up in Colorado, you probably take these because again, there's not very much cell phone coverage. So you have these little walkie-talkies. They all have a NOAA weather radio button on them. Midland itself, we probably sell one to two million sets of those walkie-talkies every year. And that's not counting Motorola, Uniden, Cobra. And these are two radio sets. Each one of them is basically a NOAA weather radio. So you know, you're talking about five, six, eight million new weather radio receivers go out every year just in the form of these walkie-talkies that are used by fishermen, you know, sportsmen, campers, recreation, you name it. Um, so you've got those, and then you've got the desktop units and you know these crank radios and battery-powered radios. I would guess that there's more NOAA weather radios out there today than there's ever been. The system is actually growing and the, the listenership, listenership is growing um, and it's probably even bigger than it's ever been. And you know, the funny thing, I worked in radio for a long time and you know, you always have your request line and that phone, you know, and it rings all the time. People calling in, they like this, they don't like that. They want you to play this song and get feedback constantly because you got a request line. The National Weather Service offices, they don't really have a request line for NOAA weather radio. So when they're working in these offices, I remind them, there's a lot of people out there listening to this broadcast. They just have no reason to call your station and tell you about it. <laughs> but in the aftermath of a big tornado or a big something or other, that's when you'll hear from them. It's usually, thank goodness I had a NOAA weather radio. Or more tragically, it's a story of, I wish we'd had a NOAA weather radio. If we did, my father would still be alive today.
some questions more about you. Uh, so you live in the Kansas City area. Yeah. Uh, tell me when someone is uh, visiting that area, uh, what's something that uh, you really need to do? Say you're in town for a conference or something. What, what's oh. something you can't miss? Oh, sure. Well, you know, for the barbecue, I mean, we have the, you know, Kansas City style barbecue and there's a world barbecue championship. But I understand there's barbecue, barbecue styles are different in every corner of our country. And I get that, but you'll enjoy the barbecue you have. It. We have two great museums in Kansas City. One of them is the, uh, the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum uh, for the old Negro Leagues of, of baseball. Um, Satchel Page played there. Buck O'Neill played there. Uh, a lot of famous players. Jackie Robinson, I think, played for a while before he went into the majors and broke the color barrier. So the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum is fantastic. It, it, I, you learn something incredible when you go there. But even bigger than that is the World War I Museum here in Kansas City. America's first fatality in World War I was actually a doctor from the Kansas City area who was killed on the battlefields in Europe. So that's why they built the World War I Museum here in Kansas City, and it's the only one in the country. Um, and as you walk in, you walk over this plexiglass floor and you're walking this plexiglass floor and down below is a field of poppies, a field of red poppies. And it's just, it's huge, huge floor that you walk over and all these red poppies. And I think each poppy represents 1000 people that died during World War One. They called it the war to end all wars. They thought after World War I, we'd never have one anything, anything that bad would ever, ever happen again. So it's very sobering to go in there and see the effects that that war had on the people and the cities of, uh, of Europe. But those are the two outstanding features. And then we've got a NASCAR raceway here too. Well, Bruce, we, we certainly have enjoyed having you. And uh, again, I uh, appreciate the um look at weather radios and why they're so important and you know we'd love to uh, to keep you in the loop and and maybe have you back sometime and just kind of you know remind people why it's so important to have weather radios so um for our listeners and uh on the podcast and those who are watching here on the web stream uh is there any social media outlets that you'd like to uh for folks to follow or, or how they can get more information about weather radios and, and maybe what you're doing and things like that you know, I'm uh, on Twitter. I'm Cyclone Jones one, the Cyclone Jones, the number one. I don't, I don't tweet a lot. Uh, I'm lucky to have some younger people in my office who are very adept at social media. Um, I do a lot of videos and so forth. They're on the MidlandUSA.com website, uh, mostly pertaining to how to program your radio, how to troubleshoot a weather radio, uh, how to be prepared. Uh, so forth and so on but uh, you know you can always send me an email bjones at midlandradio.com i'm happy to hear from folks and answer any questions that you have again we live in the country that has the most violent and extreme weather on earth so it's incumbent upon us to be prepared and be ready in every way every day bruce we appreciate your time and we appreciate you all who are watching us here on the carolina weather group we'll see you back here real soon